Today on Blue 58, after a month of steady and sometimes spectacular progress, the Packers fell apart on Monday Night Football. Can they right the ship against the Buccaneers? What happens if they don't? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I'm happy to be with you here for another episode. Just a reminder, our charity campaign for 2023 marches on. We're now over $600 donated. Thank you to everybody who has participated in that so far. You've still got time if that's something that you want to consider doing. We are collecting donations through December 31st. December 31st. So go ahead and uh, head to thepowersweep.com for full information there. You see a bar right at the top or just check out uh, the links in the show notes here. That'll help you get pointed in the right direction as we support Aaron Jones A&A All the Way Foundation for this year's charity drive. All right, Packers Buccaneers. Sitting around with this game, basically since the Packers-Giants game ended, I've developed a, I guess, somewhat anxious feeling about this game. Because I have the just general sense that the Packers are heading into trouble. I wrote about this a little bit in my picks column for this week. The Packers are pretty dinged up, and they're dinged up in a way that really hurts in ways that just having a significant number of injuries wouldn't otherwise. Now, they've had a bunch of guys hurt throughout the season, but those injuries have started to cluster in a couple different position groups, and it's really, I think, a a situation that could drag down the Packers in a really damaging way. They've got a bunch of injuries at wide receiver. They've got a bunch of guys that are hurt, but not necessarily, you can't plan on them being out for sure in the secondary, and then the running back situation just appears to get worse and worse. Aaron Jones doesn't seem quite ready to come back, and even if he does come back, how effective is he going to be coming off that knee injury right away? We learned today that A.J. Dillon has a broken thumb. In all likelihood, we're heading into a game where Patrick Taylor is the the Packers' top running back, and then you're looking at some combination of Romeo Dobbs, Malik Heath, Samori Ture, a recently injured Dontavian Wicks, a possibly injured Jaden Reed and possibly concussed Jaden Reed, maybe Bo Melton and Grant DeBose coming up from the practice squad. Point is, it doesn't look like a great set of pass catchers in the works for the Packers on Sunday. Who are they going to put out there? Who are they going to put out there in any of these position groups? And and what happens when they have them out there? On top of that, the Buccaneers seem to match up with the Packers pretty well. And they especially seem to match up pretty well with this version of the Packers injured as they are. The Buccaneers are right there in the mix for the NFC playoffs. They are currently leading the NFC South, which doesn't necessarily count for much. Part of the reason they're leading the NFC South is that no one seems to want to lead the NFC South. You've got the Panthers way off in the distance, way back in in fourth place. But other than that, you've got the Buccaneers, the Saints, and the Falcons all duking it out for the top spot in a a division that everyone just kind of refuses to run away with. So they've got everything to play for at this point, and conceivably, well, not even conceivably, very much are in the driver's seat to get into the playoffs as the the winners of the NFC South. So let's say the Packers lose this game. It's probably going to be because of their injuries as much as anything else, as well as the Buccaneers do match up with them. They match up a heck of a lot better with the Packers in their current state injury-wise. So if the Packers do lose... 
there's a big blow to their playoff chances. The probabilities drop in a big way down from down to about a coin flip, really. Maybe even worse depending on which models you 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 use. So we start to really start have to look at the Packers differently if they lose this game because you're not talking about them having anything to play up for realistically anymore or considerably less to play for really having to win out if they would happen to lose this game. So we return to this question that's kind of been a season-long issue. How do we evaluate the Packers? What are we even looking for? To use a more recent analogy, if we're back in this kind of preseason football state, what do we look for from the Packers? And if you're a team that is in an evaluation year, a growth year, a development year, however you want to talk about what the Packers are doing, shoot, throughout the the rebuilding word, if you're in a rebuilding year for the Packers, how do you evaluate how that rebuild is going when you're too hurt to really be competitive? How do you know what you're looking at? You really have to drill down to individual guys at that point. And that gets really hard to do, I think, because you have to it, – it, it gets to a point where you have to divorce what a guy is doing from the actual results of the play because you get to a point injury-wise where things are going so poorly – that even if a guy's doing his job, there's a good chance that things aren't going to turn out well. We saw that again and again and again in the early season with the, with the Packers. Jordan Love is a prime example. There were plays where he seemingly was doing the right thing, and the play just doesn't work out because guys around him are not doing their jobs. The famous example is the the read option play against the Minnesota Vikings, not the read option, uh, the run-pass option play against the Minnesota Vikings where – he pulls the ball as though to throw it, and no one is running around. Love did the right thing. He's got the run-pass option. He goes to hand it off, sees that it's in an advantageous matchup for, for pulling it and looking to throw, and no one else is running around. There's no one to throw to. Jordan Love did his job, but he's standing there look like looking like an idiot with the ball and no one else doing anything. Love can't do his job because other people aren't doing theirs we're kind of, it feels like, edging back towards something like that just because the team is starting to to pile up a bunch of injuries. And with the depth of the roster being as it is in a rebuilding situation, you end up, well, with the roster situation we find ourselves in right now. So why does all this kind of make me anxious, in addition to the reasons I've kind of talked about already? First, I want to be able to know what we're looking at when we see the Packers play. It gets really hard to have a an informed opinion about what's supposed to be going on when just as a hypothetical, you're building your passing game around, well, use the lineup we talked about before, assuming everybody's injuries hold as they are basically right now. If you go into if you go into a game with a wide receiver room of Romeo Dobbs, Samori Ture, Malik Heath, and some combination of Dubose or Melton or whatever the third guy is on the practice squad. I forget his name. It does it doesn't matter. He's going to be your sixth of six wide receivers anyway. How do we evaluate that passing game? How do we evaluate Jordan Love's performance? How do you evaluate even what the Packers are going to be doing when one of those guys has never played in an NFL game for sure? Bo Melton barely has played. And then you've got a third guy who's been here less than a month in Green Bay at all. 
How do you evaluate that? I don't know. I've said the, the same rhetorical question three times now, and I don't know the answer to it at all. Secondly, it bums me out or, or makes me stressed because I still think the Packers can make the playoffs, and they're still trying to. The Packers have never been trying to tank or lose or whatever. Winning may have not been the primary goal for this season, but that doesn't mean the Packers didn't think they could win. I realize that he's never going to say anything else, but Brian Gutekunst has always been pretty consistent on that point. He's like, yeah, I know there's going to be growing pains, but we don't expect to do anything other than win. Again, what else is he going to say in a public forum? Is he going to sit up there leading into training camp and think, well, you know, if, if things really go right for us, maybe it's four games, five on the on the high end, but eh, who cares if we win or not? Of course he's not going to say that. But even if you kind of grade on the curve of realizing he's never going to say anything different, I think the Packers did believe that they could be at least competitive for a playoff spot this season for whatever that means and understanding that there's a, a bigger playoff pool here, they still were going to try to go for it and make the playoffs. Now, how do you talk about that if it, if it just comes down to, yep, it's too injured for us to really compete or we're too injured to really compete? It just ends up being kind of a like a, a balloon running out of air rather than a, a spectacular explosion or something that you're building on. Thirdly, I'm anxious about this game because the Buccaneers were the team I was most concerned about other than the Chiefs in the six-game stretch. You don't really know what you're going to get, I think, from the Vikings, um, especially with their quarterback situation the way it is. The Bears kind of fall into that category a little bit. You felt pretty good looking at uh, a win over the the Giants, and we all know how that turned out. But then between the Panthers and, um, well, the the, the Vikings and the Bears, you, you feel like you could do pretty well in that stretch except for the Buccaneers kind of are a bit of a fly in the ointment here. The guy that scares me most here is is not any particular player. It's Todd Bowles, who has scraped together, and I say scraped together, he's had a wealth of talent on, on defense for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was the, the main reason I have to think that, the, that Tom Brady chose to go there prior to the 2020 season because the, the Buccaneers were just stacked. They were a competitive team in the NFC South, with Jameis Winston at quarterback because their defense was so just lights out back in 2019. Well, most of those guys are, are still there in some form, and they still have a, lot, a, a pretty strong defense. It's not what it was, but Bulls made life difficult with lesser teams for Aaron Rodgers. If he can do that to Rodgers, he can certainly affect Jordan Love, and the Giants seem to affect Jordan Love, even if a lot of the Packers' issues with the Giants were self-inflicted as well, so that's kind of concerning. Fourthly, the Packers just aren't coming off their greatest performance, and we have yet to see this team, I think, really bounce back hard from some adversity, and that's painting with a bit of a broad brush because adversity has kind of been the, the tone of the season. Still, just you don't expect a young team to be able to shake off a performance like that quite as readily as a team like the Aaron Rodgers, you know, pick any year era Packers, you expect a team with a little bit more veteran leadership to be able to bounce back a little bit more quickly. Now, to be fair, we do have the most recent example of the Packers lost prior to the Giants game. They, they, they lost to the Steelers and took down the Chargers the very next week. But I think you understand what, what I'm saying. Like, it, it's hard to bounce back from a performance like that, especially, again, with the injuries. Finally, I feel like we might headed... I feel like we might be headed for a game where the Packers just end up looking bad because they're hurt 
and then we feel bad about their apparent lack of progress over the past couple of weeks. And then their whole mid to late season turnaround starts to look a little bit like a sham, even though that's not really what it's probably going to be. It probably is just going to come down to them being too injured to really do anything, maybe this week and, and maybe beyond this week. All those things kind of have been swirling around in my head this week and, and making me more stressed out about this game than I probably should be, because on balance, we're still in pretty good shape here. Even if they do lose to the Buccaneers, it's not entirely out of their control. They still have got a very winnable game against the Panthers, the Vikings. Again, who knows what they're going to be even two weeks from now, three weeks from now. And then the Chicago Bears. Um, look, it is our birthright as Packers fans to beat the Bears. I will, I will claim that forever. So they're not going to beat us. Not going to allow that to happen. We will, we will use all of our influence on the universe to bend the will of the NFL toward allowing the Packers to win that game. Uh, joking aside, I just think the Packers are probably going to beat the Bears. So, yes, even if they lose, things are still in the Packers' control. It just, it's going to seem, if they do lose, worse than it probably is, and a lot of it is going to come down to injuries. Now, what about the Buccaneers? What about them? They are 6-7, and seven, currently first in the NFC South. They have a fairly weak offense, but a fairly strong defense, but they are strong in important ways, and I've kind of circled around this a couple times here already. The, the, there's really no two ways about it. The Buccaneers are not great against the pass. They do not have a great pass defense, 31st in yards per attempt allowed, just to pick one stat, but they're pretty strong against the run. They're ninth in yards per attempt allowed on the ground, fourth by EPA allowed per running play. So normally you'd sit here and you'd say, we know exactly how to attack this. And on paper, you would feel like the Packers have a pretty good chance of doing that if they've got a full complement of skill players. You know, if you if you were going into this game with the Packers running back room as it was, say, four or five weeks ago, Aaron Jones, relatively healthy, healthier certainly than he is now, A.J. Dillon with two functional thumbs, um, wonder how he's going to play Farming Simulator. I, I'm not super familiar with that game, so maybe if, if it's more keyboard-oriented, you don't have to worry about uh, your thumbs being broken. But since that initial live stream of him playing Farming Simulator dropped, it seems like his whole season has turned around. So anything that we can do to keep him doing that, I think, is is good. But, you know, he was healthy back then. Emmanuel Wilson's healthy back then. You've got that full complement of backs. You look at what the Buccaneers do, and you think, shoot, we're going to do what we can in the ground game, stay ahead of the sticks, stay on schedule, and then Jordan will just get us what we can through the air with these running backs, and, or with the, well, I guess with the running backs in the past game, sure, but with these young pass catchers, even injured as they are. Now, with Dylan Hurt, with Jones Hurt, you've got running back number one, Patrick Taylor, and Kenyon Drake. Do they have the guys to attack this? this run defense that is not very good. And can you make them respect the run if there's no threat of the pass at all? I'm not sure how that's going to work out. And I think the Packers are going to be obligated to try to con- to run the ball as much as they can if their their pass catchers are all banged up, which puts the Packers in a bit of a rough spot. So just from that perspective, I think we're looking at a bit of a slog of a game. And I think it's one that the Packers are going to have have trouble generating enough points to win just given what we've seen from the Buccaneers' defense so far this year. I hope that is not correct. I hope the Packers can end up winning this game, but we'll see. Um, There are a few guys on both sides of the ball that I want to talk about here really quickly for the Buccaneers. 
Um, starting with Baker Mayfield uh, for the, the Buccaneers at quarterback, having a pretty decent year. Historically, he has not been particularly fond of taking care of the ball, but that has been the big difference for him so far this year. He's thrown an interception on just 1.8% of his attempts. That is the second lowest mark of his career. Interestingly, this is the third consecutive year that the Packers will face off against Baker Mayfield, and he's been on a different team each and every one of those times. We played him as a member of the Browns in 2021, and then as a member of the Rams in 2022, and now as a member of the Buccaneers in 2023. Next guy up is Rashad White, a, a guy that I've whose career has kind of fascinated me even prior to the 2021 draft. He was described in a couple of different sources as a project running back, which is something you almost never see, but he just didn't have a lot of college experience, but was pretty productive in the experience he did have at Arizona State. He matched a lot of what the Packers and we at Blue 58 look for in a running back. Big physical guy, six foot one, around 220 pounds, runs well, good testing numbers, stuff like that. Performed well in college, both on the ground and through the air. Unfortunately, so far this season, the, the ground numbers really haven't been there, just averaging 3.7 yards per carry, but he's averaging 8.7 yards per catch on 48 catches so far this year. Expecting, I'm expecting he'll be involved again through the air this week. And he just kind of looks like the sort of player that the Packers are going to make look like a world beater. So who knows, maybe a career day in the order for Rashad White. If not White, be concerned about Mike Evans. You, of course, know about Mike Evans. 2014 first-round pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. has now had a 1,000-yard season every single year that he has been in the NFL. And he is over 1,000 yards for this season already in just 13 games worth of work. My big question is who matches up with him in Green Bay Don't really know right now. Carrington Valentine, time for a trial by fire, I suppose. Switching over to defense, a couple names I want to mention here. Uh, Larry Foote, their defensive coordinator, is uh, a different kind of role than uh, under a defensive head coach, but still of interest to me just because he was a longtime NFL player before getting into coaching. He had a 13-year NFL career with the Steelers, Lions, and Cardinals. Uh, Was a very successful NFL player, anybody who plays that long. You have to characterize them as pretty successful now into the second year of a coaching career as a defensive coordinator. He's he's been coaching in the NFL for a while, but at the coordinator level, just his second year now. Also want to mention mention Antoine Winfield Jr. He was a popular mock draft target for the Packers in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft. He's just been solid every year since the since the Buccaneers drafted him, and he is grading as one of the best safeties in the league this year. Kind of a uniquely productive player, too. Top 10 in both sacks and interceptions in the 2020 draft class. 13 and a half career sacks for the rather small Antoine Winfield Jr., but productive under Todd Bowles, as we've mentioned. Finally, pass rusher Shaq Barrett, got to mention him, 13.7% pressure rate on the year. Their lead dog is a pass rusher. If anybody's going to be getting after the quarterback for the Buccaneers, it's probably going to be him. I really don't know what to expect all that much from, from the Buccaneers. They're a bit of a mixed bag of a team. If they didn't play in the NFC South, they're probably not having as good of a season as they are. But to kind of turn the old adage on its head, you are what your record says you are. And even though it's not a great record, six and seven is as good as the Packers right now. And in the NFC South, that's good enough for first place. So 
you do have to treat them with a certain amount of respect. They can only beat the guys that are on their record, and they've beaten six of them so far. Yeah, you got to grade it on a bit of a curve because it does come in the NFC South, but they're doing doing their job so far this year. I think this is something the Packers are going to have to take very seriously, and the Packers, of course, fighting for their playoff lives as well. There were a couple listener questions I wanted to take a second and look at this week, and, and one of them... Um, not so much a listener as somebody you've heard of here, but we'll take the question nonetheless here. Uh, the first question comes from Serb Packer, who we talked about at the end of last episode. Shout out again to all of our international listeners. Roller coaster of a season, man, and the commitment to get up to watch a good team on, you know, at God only knows when in the morning. To use our, our most recent example, Serb Packer, he, he told us in our Discord that he was going to bed at 5.30 a.m. after watching the Packers on Monday Night Football. I, I don't know if I'd have it in me. Um, if I had to start from that, like if I had never lived in the United States growing up watching the Packers, if I was just, if that was the ground floor of fandom, I'd probably say not for me. So props to the international listeners who do everything that they can to watch the Packers live. Very, very impressive Shout out again to all of you. Thank you for for tuning in, and thank you for supporting the Packers around the world. Anyway, Sir Packer writes this question. It seems to me that Matt LaFleur in the addresses after the game highlights the mistakes of the players now much more. Somehow earlier he would always say, this is on me now. Now much more he notes players' mistakes. When he was asked about the two-point conversion, he said two players missed blocks. Although it could be seen that New York was ready for each of our jet sweeps. Is this proof that Matt LaFleur has fallen into a phase of it's not up to me, it's up to the player, or perhaps trying to impose harsher rhetoric? This is an interesting question, and I think kind of touches obliquely on something that was very apparent after the game. Matt LaFleur only talked for about four and a half minutes after the the Packers lost to the Giants, which is fairly short for him. But he was hot after the game. He was pretty steamed up. And he took a lot of that out on the players, was talking about the first three quarters of what he was up there talking about, all on the players. Players not executing, not executing on offense, not on defense, not on special teams, execution, execution, execution. And as our question asker points out here, that is a bit different from what we've seen from LaFleur in the past. Now, in the end of his press conference, somebody specifically asked about the play call on the two-point conversion, and he went out of his way to say it was a bad call. But to kind of expand this out, I think it's not so much um, shifting blame to the players or falling into a trap of it's not up to me. I think he's actually just pretty pointedly saying, you guys should know better. If there has been a switch in Lafleur's rhetoric, I think it's because we're here in mid-December now. We're at the point where the team should know better. You can talk about the age of the players. You can talk about the players being young, but you can't really say that the players on the Packers right now are inexperienced anymore. Because even in the even the young guys, even the rookies, have been on an NFL roster for 15 weeks now. You've got 15 weeks of regular season stuff, well, 14 plus this coming game. A month of training camp, OTAs, off-season activities. We're, we're closer to year two than to year one. So if you're if you're just using the excuse, why well, we don't know what to do, we don't know how to execute stuff at this point, I think Lafleur's point is, you you should know better by now. We shouldn't be talking about execution stuff here in a primetime game when we're talking about making the playoffs against a team that we should beat. 
I think there is a point where a coach can say, yeah, that is on you. Now, to your point, there is a, a, a right way to do that, and I think we could, we could go back and forth on whether or not the way that LaFleur did it after the Giants game was the right guy or was the right way, but at a certain point it, it is inaccurate for him to just sit up there and say, well, it's on me, i got to get the guys ready to play, i got to do this, that, and the other thing. If he calls the right play, if you got the right play on, it's it's third and six or whatever. You call the play that's in your in your third down package. You worked on it on Friday. You were doing your third down installs. They've got the look on that you want, and somebody just runs the wrong route or misses a block or whatever, sails a pass over somebody's head, throws it in the dirt, throws it into the stands, throws it the wrong way, uh, forgets to snap the ball, trips, you name it. At a certain point, that isn't the coach's fault. And this has come up a few times in in different avenues over the course of the year where we've talked about, you know, there are things that you can't blame the coaches for. And maybe that's what LaFleur was getting to. But I think the broader point is that you just can't bank on these young guys just being young anymore. It it doesn't hold up as an excuse after a certain point. And I think we are at that point right now. Papa Roo, the always reliable um, questioner, asks for a Zach Tom check-in this week. Zach Tom's been really solid. Looking at it from like a coaching perspective, if you're looking at the Packers offensive line, the the way you, you probably think about it as you game plan for a specific week is who don't we have to worry about? Looking at it from Jordan Love's perspective behind the line, you're looking down the field. Left tackle, we got questions. Questions that are obvious. If there weren't questions, you wouldn't be rotating guys in and out of the lineup. You wouldn't be switching Rasheed Walker and Yash Naiman. If you felt great about either of those guys, you wouldn't be switching them around. Center, yeah, uh, Josh Myers has been a question mark for a year and a half, two years now. We don't have to belabor that point. We've talked plenty about Josh Myers. John Runyon, kind of the same deal. He is not having a great year, though the Monday Night Football game was one of his better games recently, at least according to Pro Football Focus. Some question marks there as well, especially in a contract year. Why is he not playing better as he's looking to hit the open market? Your your guess is as good as mine. But other than that, the guys that you don't worry about are Elton Jenkins at left guard and Zach Tom at right tackle. That's my general feeling, and I think if you look at some of the stats and the grades, that is borne out. For For starters, he is the one of the most reliable guys on the Packers offense just in terms of availability. He play, has played so far this season the third most snaps on the Packers offense, 832 for Josh Myers in first place, Jordan Love just behind him at 831. Then you've got Zach Tom at 827 snaps so far this season. And he has put those snaps to good use. According to Pro Football Focus, he is the ninth graded tackle overall among guys who have played at least 500 snaps so far this season. He is their 18th graded pass blocker and their 8th graded run blocker. I would have guessed those numbers would probably have been reversed. Even so, I will take the ninth best tackle in the NFL from Zach Tom. Among all linemen, he is the 16th best player overall. So you bring guards and centers into the mix. There's only seven guys that jump up ahead of Zach Tom in pro football focuses overall rankings. In that group, he is the 20th ranked run blocker and the 29th graded pass blocker. Again, overall, great stuff here from Zach Tom. This has been the Zach Tom Report. Finally, a question on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it from Mike Daniels, former Packers defensive lineman. 
did not send this to us directly, but I saw he threw the question out there, and I thought I would take a crack at it. He writes, Packers fans, no matter the coordinator, no matter the personnel, we seem to not be able to be elite on defense. I played alongside legit Hall of Fame players, several All-Pros and Pro Bowlers, yet mid-to-bottom ranks. Years later, I see the same thing even with a culture change. Why? That is the million-dollar question, isn't it? If I knew the exact answer, I would, uh, well, I probably wouldn't be hosting a podcast. I would probably have Joe Barry's job. So the easy answer is that I don't know. Even, you know, you can say it's because of the defensive coordinator, the players, whatever. Mike kind of gets to that. They've had different defensive coordinators. Just since 2010, since the Packers won the Super Bowl, we've had Dom Capers, we've had Mike Pettin, and now we've got Joe Barry. Broadly similar results, especially in the back half of the, the Dom Capers era. Mike Pettin, good defenses, not elite, I would say. Joe Barry, kind of the same thing. But even if you say you don't know, even if you take your Packers fandom out of this, you kind of look at 15 years of Packers defense and say, you should be better than this just by accident at some point, right? You should have one or two elite defenses in there, you would think. And to that point, the Packers were elite on defense, at least in 2009 and 2010, right up there at the top by just about any measure. And look, in 2010, they won the Super Bowl. The more complicated answer to this might just be that we're better at remembering the bad stuff. There have been a few defenses over the past decade where the Packers maybe weren't elite, but were really good to to pretty good. 2012 is a pretty good example. They were 11th in scoring defense that year. They were a DVOA darling. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, they had good stats across the board. They had a, a good defense that year. And yet, even if you don't remember the exact season, you remember what happened to the 2012 Packers. Colin Kaepernick ran all over them in the playoffs. And so we remember that defense as being bad. We say that was a bad defense that year. Was it necessarily terrible? No. Was it good enough to win the Super Bowl? Probably if the Packers offense holds up a little bit more of their, their end of the bargain, or if, if they just don't run into the buzzsaw that was the 49ers in 2012, the, the Packers may make the Super Bowl with that defense. I think it was good enough to get them there, especially with some of the injuries. Again, oh, injuries back that they had late in the season and had in 2013 and had in 2014 as well. Injuries might just tell the biggest story here. Another possibility for why we seem to fall into this stuff again and again and again is that expectations might just be too high. I have struggled with this question before, but I don't necessarily know what a good defense should be in 2023. Obviously, you want to stop guys from scoring as much as you can, slow down offenses wherever you can. But if we're expecting, you know, what even for an elite defense, if we're expecting like the 2001 Baltimore Ravens or the 85 Bears or something like that, I don't know if that's possible anymore. We're 22 years away from that Ravens team that was so good, 2000 Ravens, whatever it was, more than two decades away. The guys that were on defenses like that are old enough to have kids in the NFL now. And it has only gotten harder to play defense since then. Not too long after the Ravens had their great defense, the Colts complained so hard about 
how the Patriots played defense in the playoffs that the NFL literally changed the rules to make it easier for Peyton Manning. And things have only continued that way since then. It has only become harder as a defensive back to go down the field and not get called for pass interference or illegal contact or anything like that. It has only gotten harder as a pass rusher to hit the quarterback legally. I just don't know if it's possible to play defense like that anymore. So maybe an elite defense looks different now and we just haven't adapted our expectations. I think that's a very real possibility. And yet, I think if nothing else, we can say that the Packers defense and defense in general should at least be competent on the situational stuff. And this is not specific to Mike's question, but I think that's the biggest thing you would hope for with Joe Barry. And I, I want to clarify that. I don't know if it's a good idea. I No, I don't think it's a good idea for Joe Barry to come back as the Packers defensive coordinator next season. I would strongly prefer that they go in a different direction there. I think we've seen the Joe Barry show here. I'm ready to just try something different, even bringing in my old caveat that it could always be worse. Yeah, it could, but you'll never know if it could be better unless you actually make a change. I think if you're looking at anything to really criticize Barry about, it's just missing those obvious things. And he misses them in the in the play-to-play sense, whereas we've talked about being surprised by the obvious in a more general sense with previous defensive coordinators. And I think the the Barry version of that hurts even worse because you look at the end of the Giants game, you're just rushing four guys when the Giants have plenty of time. You need to, to play actual defense here. You can't play prevent defense when they only need a point and they only need 50 yards or whatever it is to get in the field goal range. Not a lot, I guess, is the point. You would hope to see some better situational stuff from Joe Barry, and you would hope that generally a defensive coordinator is at least putting your guys in position to – have a shot. If you're rushing four and dropping seven in a situation where the, the Giants can take all the time in the world to get down the field, basically, hyperbole there to be sure, but if, if guys can, if they can just run their normal offense and you're trying to play a prevent defense against that, that's just a big miss. So maybe it's not even elite defense. Maybe you're just trying to see a sound defense in Green Bay. I don't know. And I know I started out saying I don't know about um, Mike Daniels' question there, but I think it, it gets to the end or kind of the same same spot there too. Why is it not better? Yeah, I don't know, but you'd think it probably should be, right? Anyway, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.